Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. We tell God, get out. We don't want you. We want nothing to do with you. Winter comes and we sit in amazement like we're shocked. And we say, why can't I feel the presence of God? Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue looking at spiritual winter and the story of Job, all about those times in our spiritual lives when God feels distant. In the story of Job, we learn that it is possible to experience spiritual winter of no fault of your own. Not because there's some great sin in your life. This kind of winter that you're enduring actually comes from another place. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue Spiritual Winter. Now, my mom, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about my mom's death again. But I will tell you that my mom is just like any other Christian lady. She had her weaknesses. She's not God. I know sometimes when I talk about her, I make it appear that way. She's just like everybody else. And I remember a season in my mom's life when her bitterness and her anger toward her mother was so deep that it took all of about 30 seconds for every time you talk to my mom, as a matter of fact, My brothers and I would have a little bet when we'd go visit mom. We'd say, how long do you think it'll take before mom turns the conversation, whatever it is, right toward her mother and her anger and what her mother did last time she saw her? I mean, it was horrible. The topic of every conversation, the centrality of every thought, it permeated every thought my mom had. Every conversation eventually turned. It was amazing. She could turn a conversation about gift wrapping to my mean mom. Now, I will tell you, Her mom, my grandmother, is probably one of the meanest women in the world I've ever met. I will say that. But that's beside the point. The bitterness and the anger just permeated her soul. And then a couple of years before my mom died, it was Christmas. We were sitting around the table eating some turkey. And I'll never forget, my mom said to me, son, can we talk? Now, in her tone of voice, I knew my role had changed within a matter of seconds from son to pastor. Can we talk, son? Well, sure, mom. And this is what she said. Jeff? I just don't feel God these days. The disrespectful part of me wanted to say, you think? (laughs) But I was smarter than that. I said, Mom, winter came because you welcomed it in. You cannot continually disobey the call of God and expect to be in spiritual summertime. Here we go. There is often a connection between our character and our ability to see and to feel God. And America has lost its ability to feel God, and maybe you have too, because you've lost your willingness to obey him. Now listen, however, and this is a very big however, the story of Job tells us this is not always the case. While it can be, in the story of Job, we learn that it is possible to experience spiritual winter of no fault of your own of not because there's some great sin in your life, that this kind of winter that you're embracing, that you're enduring, that you're experiencing actually comes from another place. Now stay with me. Eyes right here. In order to get what's happening in the book of Job and to take the next step 
of understanding and dealing with spiritual winter. Let me use this example. Most of you know there's a hydraulic lift under the stage and it allows us to separate this stage or segment it into three parts so that you can have three separate plays going on simultaneously at the same time. It's wonderful. No, I'm just kidding about that. That actually doesn't happen, but, but I did get your attention, all right? Patrick Gorley back there is thinking, man, are you kidding? I didn't know we could do that. No, we can't actually do that. But here's, here's why I say that. The book of Job is on two stages. You've got the upper stage and the lower stage. The upper stage, of course, is heaven. They see everything that happens on the earth, but those on earth can't see anything that's happening in heaven. And when we read the book of Job, while Job has his questions, heaven has its own set of questions. In other words, on earth, the story of the book of Job is about where is God when I'm hurting? Why does spiritual winter seem to come in the time that I need God the most? But that's not the questions. Those are not the questions being asked in heaven. Those are different questions. And here's, what, here's what's happening with God in heaven. The story of the book of Job is not about where is God during spiritual winter. The story in heaven asks this simple question. Does Job fear God for nothing? One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Do you see what's happening on the higher stage? While we're asking the question, where is God in spiritual winter? Satan comes to God and says, God, I got a few things to say to you. Metaphorically speaking, he says, Job, God, worships and serves you because it's in his self-interest to do so. It's strictly quid pro quo. The only deal going on here. God, you're quite naive. Job, you think, loves you, but Job doesn't really love you. Oh, he does, but he loves you like children love the ice cream man, like college students love cliff notes, like Cher loves the plastic surgeon. <laughs> you turn off the faucet of blessing, God, and I'll show you how quickly Job turns off the faucet of his love and devotion to you. And he's the best man you got down on earth. After that, it all goes downhill. The rest of the human race is far worse than Job is. So there's not even one person that fits into the category of love. Do you see what's happening here? While on earth we're asking, where's God when it hurts and why am I in this spiritual winter? Heaven is asking this question. Now follow me. Is there anybody, is the entire human race about nothing more than self-interest and self-love? Is there anybody down there who has a gratuitous love for God, who serves and loves God simply because who he is, and their love for him is gratuitous. They give and give to God without expecting anything in return. And their love for God is unconditional. It doesn't matter how they believe God should perform. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank, how successful their career is. These are people who just serve and love and adore God on the basis of who he is, not on what he might could do for them in the future. The problem is Job is on the lower stage and he has no idea what's at stake in heaven. And the same is true of your life and mine. Now listen, Job is going to start speaking aggressively to God now. He's going to start saying some pretty harsh things to God, the same type of things that most people 
who are in spiritual winter would just love to say to God. And God's answer is going to be so compelling. It's like, it's like living water in a dry and dusty land. It's like precious gold. It's life-changing for those in winter. Which is why you absolutely, positively have to come back next week to hear what God is going to say to Job. But in the meantime, as we depart, as we think about this, I, I, I don't want to stop there. Listen, because of time, I want you to know that when you come to the book of Job and you're in spiritual winter, that you cannot progress until you're willing to understand something very important. In spiritual winter, you are confronted with questions that penetrate your life. And the first question is this. Please listen just quickly. Are you in the habit of saying, don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. On your job, are you padding your expense account? Are you embezzling little by little from the company? Are you involved in an illegitimate relationship? Are you taking stolen waters? Something that doesn't belong to you but belongs to another man. Something that doesn't belong to you but belongs to another woman. Are you taking those things? Do you have some kind of an addiction that's stuck to you like Velcro, that's sucking the life right out of you? Are you involved in something that is entertaining you, which in reality, it should be appalling you? Something that's entertaining you that should cause or catalyze a righteous indignation, a hatred for it, because it's appalling. And it's against everything that the Bible stands for, for what Jesus came to bring, for what he came to teach. Young people, I'm watching you. I know you're watching me back at you. And fathers, I say to you again, you got a young son and that young boy has a computer in his room where he can close that door. You're an idiot. I'm sorry. Greek word for that is called moros, translated morons. Okay, so you're a moron. You think back to when you were 14 and 15, what you would have done if you could have gone into your room, locked the door, and you had access to what's on the internet today. You cannot continue in a pattern of an addiction of this nature without experiencing spiritual winter for the rest of your life. And young guys, let me tell you something. You keep doing this, here's what's going to happen. I promise you, it's the way God wired you. You keep doing this, you're not going to be able to have a relationship with a woman when you get older because you won't know how. You would have put them in a category and on a plateau that they cannot possibly meet. Gary Richmond tells a story about going into a zoo. There's a 13-foot cobra. You think about this, 13-feet cobra. The venom in the cobra could drop an elephant. He says he's at the zoo. All of a sudden, he's recruited to give a little help. This big cobra, this ugly-looking cobra, has a scar above its right eye. He says it's the embodiment of evil. Now, you think about that. Cobras are ugly enough already. They don't need a scar or a tattoo or anything else. Now, wait a minute. Not that tattoos are bad or wrong. I did not mean that. No emails. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sometimes they can make you look a little mean, right? A snake doesn't need to look any meaner. I'm going to pay for that. I know I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> so the snake comes out and he slithers up and he raises up and he chooses his first victim, which is the curator which you kind of need to perform this surgery because this snake has tried to shed its skin, 
but it's got caught on the eye socket. So this skin on the snake is going to have to be removed by hand. The problem is snakes don't have hands. So somebody else has to go in and do it for them. Five recruits, Gary Richmond is one of them. He said they came in, the snake raises up. All of a sudden the zookeepers throw a net over the snake. They get this snake down on the ground. They stick a towel in its mouth and the venom is just yellow venom just dripping out. Gary says, I have a cuts on my right arm and I'm worried the venom's going to get in there because it could kill me. The hands of the vet trembling, sweat dropping off everybody's forehead. And just as they're finished with the surgery, and I'll never forget this, Gary writes, Zoo's curator said to all of us, oh yeah, by the way, more people are bitten trying to let go of snakes than when they first grab hold of them. (laughs) Easy to grab, hard to let go. Easy to grab, hard to let go. Easy to grab, hard to let go. But if you don't let go, You're going to be in a spiritual winter for the rest of your life. And sooner or later, it will turn from winter to absolute desolation. And you may not ever be able to sense the presence of God again. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're looking at spiritual winter. These times might reveal what might be more important to us than our relationship with God. Let's continue. Do you believe that heaven watches earth? Everything that happens in your life, do you think that heaven is watching? Some of you young people, you're just starting your career, okay? You're out of college, you're going forward now. Let me tell you something. God watches every move that you make. Oh, you want him involved. You want him to deliver you. You want him to give you good stuff and give you great success. Here's my question to you. Are you willing to obey? See, you can't fool God. He knows what you'll do after the success comes and whether you will glorify him or whether you will be all about self-aggrandizement. If you're going to ask God to get involved, I say again, be willing to obey him. Be willing to follow him and God's hand will be heavy on you. But do you believe your entire life? Do you believe that God is watching Do you believe, according to the book of Job, that it's quite possible that all of life is a stage and you and I are the characters and it's all about one big test to see where our allegiance really is? How you respond when things aren't going your way. Which brings me to the third and final question everyone has to ask in spiritual winter before we move on. Now listen carefully. This is it. End of the sermon. Upon what? Is your love for God contingent? Upon what is your love for God contingent? What would you lose? And if you lost it, your faith in God would dissipate. Because whatever that thing is, that is your God. That's what you love more than God himself. There's a great passage in 2 Chronicles 6, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Is your heart completely God's? In God's GPS finder, if it's roaming to and fro the earth, would it stop on you and say, there's one right there. His heart completely belongs to me. Isn't it amazing? Do you see what's going on in heaven? God asks you the same questions you ask him. Don't you want God to love you unconditionally? No matter what you do, no matter how many times you sin, don't you want to wake up the next morning and know that God's mercies are new every day? And whatever you've done, he's always forgiving you. God says back at you. 
I want to know that if I don't perform the way you think I ought to perform in your life, that when you wake up the next day, you're still with me. Are you willing to give God what you want so desperately from him? Is your love for God gratuitous? God says, I send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sunshine, the ocean, the snow on the mountains when the sun comes out tomorrow, it's going to be beautiful. Many of you are going to be driving down the 210, the 57, the 10, you're going to see that. And some of you are going to think, man, God is beautiful. And God says back at you. I gave this not because you were good, just because I like to give blessing. I'm a gratuitous God. I give without expecting anything in return. Are you the same way with God? Do you give and serve and remain loyal even when he doesn't give you what you think he ought to give you? Just out of the sheer goodness of your heart. I find that amazing in the book of Job. Does your heart belong to God? About a year and a half ago, I told you the story of a Chicago lawyer named Horatio Spaford. In 1860, he was a great businessman, had involvement in many business endeavors. A prominent law firm, a lucrative real estate career. He was often heard saying, God has blessed us to the nth degree. In 1870, things started to turn for him. He lost his only son, the age of four, to scarlet fever. One year later, the Chicago fire destroyed everything they owned. He went from wealth to poverty almost overnight. He had invested heavily in real estate up and around the Great Lakes. All of that burned to the ground, his law firm burned to the ground. His life, his family brought to devastation and ruin. In 1871, he began to recognize the toil it had taken on his family, upon his children, upon his four daughters. So he decided it would be a good time for a family holiday. They made plans to go to New York and then to cross the Atlantic on a powerful ship to go and visit Europe and to see the sights. At the last minute before they were about to board, he received another telegram a business venture that could possibly turn his business career around. But he didn't want to ruin the family holiday, so he said to his wife and children, you guys go. Go ahead, I'll join you. I've just got to take care of some business. Nine days later, he received a telegram from his wife, Anna. Two words, saved alone. On November 2nd, 1873, the boat on which his daughters, his wife, The boat on which they were traveling collided with an English vessel. It sank in less than 12 minutes. 226 people died. Anna, his wife, stood bravely on the deck, clinging to her four girls, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanetta. The story is that she just held them, clinging to her. She's clinging to them. But the waves kept pounding as the ship was sinking. And finally, the waves pounded Anna with such force actually knocked her unconscious. She let go of the girls, not even knowing that she did. Her four daughters drowned. The only thing that saved her life was a piece of wood, a plank from the boat, just floated underneath her while she was unconscious. She stayed alive. When she woke up, of course, it dawned on her what she had lost. It was devastating. And she writes that in that moment of the deepest spiritual winter, the deepest pain of her life, she remembered the words of a friend of hers. It is easy to be grateful and good when you have so much, but take care that you're not a fair weather friend to God. And Horatio Spaford boarded the next plane to join his wife, Anna, to comfort her. He brought her back to New York. Months went by, they had another daughter, the fifth daughter, named her Bertha, and now their only child. 
A year went by and they boarded a ship again to cross the Atlantic to go have that European family holiday, to travel to England. And right as the boat got over that exact place of water or in the near vicinity of where the previous ship had gone down and Horatio Spafford had lost the life or the lives of his four daughters, the captain of the ship called him on deck and said, Horatio, this is the spot. This is the place where your four daughters perished. Immediately, Horatio Spafford went down on deck and wrote these words. You might have heard of them. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Spiritual winter, before you understand what God is doing and you're given those answers in the book of Job, before you move that far, you have to ask this question, upon what is my love and commitment and devotion to God contingent? If you lost everything, as Job is going to do, would you still serve and love God? Because your love for Him is unconditional. It is gratuitous. Do you know why? Because you never lose everything. Because it is well with your soul. And if all of life is a stage and you and I are the characters and heaven is watching earth and his GPS stops on those whose heart completely belongs to him, one day the Bible tells us because it is well with our soul, what we will experience in heaven will far outweigh anything you've got to endure down here. And the time will come when you'll look back and you'll say, man, life was tough, that's for sure. But whoo, after five billion, billion, billion years in heaven with God, it just won't matter anymore. It is well. It is well with my soul. Father, we are grateful for the power of your word. <clears throat> we are thankful that we have times like this for the scales to be removed from our eyes. Father, to know that you do care. And we are searching for answers in our spiritual winter. We want to know why are there times in our lives when God seems absent and those times coincide with those times we need Him the most. I pray that as we take this journey, our eyes would be open. But for now, for this night, for right here in this place, right now, we would celebrate, celebrate the fact that we know even when sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well. It is well with our soul. Because a little baby came into a manger, grew to be a man, and died on a cross so that every one of us may come into relationship with God our Father. It is well. It is well. And we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we've been hearing about seasons of winter in our spiritual life. Next time, we'll be hearing more about spiritual winter and what it can teach us. Those of you who have been in spiritual winter for so long, if you'll just stay with me, you can see the sun come out from behind the clouds, brightness will come, and you can return to what you once had. 
or get what you've never had in the first place. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.